part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, I hope you saw kind of the theme that was going through those songs this morning. Excellently kind of picked out this morning of, you know, that blessed assurance and then just praising God no matter the circumstances and then ending with it is well with our soul. We need songs like that. We need that encouragement because life doesn't always go as planned, does it? I mean, we can kind of make the plans. We can kind of kind of set the stage. We can have the, the hopes and the wishes. And yet when it really comes down to it, we, we find out that we're not in total control of our destiny. Yes, we very much are called to, to, to manage, to be responsible. But there's some circumstances out there that sometimes are beyond our control. Would you, would you agree with that? That, that you don't live life in a box, that you don't live life in, in isolation, that, that you can have your calendar and kind of your to-do list, but it doesn't always end up exactly as you wrote in the calendar. How many of you just last week, uh, not that you all have planners, whether electronic ones or written ones or just the ones in your mind and your, your head, but how many of you just last week kind of had a plan, a strategy to, to attack last week's problems, situations and life and, and as it turned out there were some unexpected visitors uh, and there didn't have to be people but uh, just things that happened that were you know not on your plan how many of y'all kind of had that just this last week yeah so it's not that you know this is a fact that we just don't you know plan our lives and then it always goes just according to that it's one of those things I think that we would agree with what we're going to see in the scripture this morning as James continues this epistle to uh, the church that's in Jerusalem. Remember, he's, kind of, he's a pastor. Uh, he may be one of many pastors, but James is a pastor to the people in the church in Jerusalem, most of those people having Jewish backgrounds. It's not that there wouldn't have been some Gentiles in there, but mostly it's a Jewish church. Now that they're Christians, but they come from this Jewish background. And, and so he's talking to them, and the first thing that he kind of gets out in this passage this week is what we just exclaimed in our own. We... we Admitted in our lives, life is unpredictable. Would you agree with me so far? Life is unpredictable, okay? Number two, he begins to talk about that even though we find out that life is very unpredictable, what we find out that life is kind of fragile. Have you ever been moving and you, you, you take your world and you kind of wrap it up in a little bubble and, and you, uh, you, know, you put on the, the boxing tape where you get those peanuts you know, there's a little styrofoam peanuts, and you put it in there. And, and is that a guarantee that it's going to arrive in one piece on the other side? No. And, and isn't that really an illustration of life that we really too? How many of you try to bubble wrap your children? In fact, if it was fashionably allowable that you would bubble wrap your children, yeah, and, and put peanuts, you know, just kind of rub them down so they're a lot of static, and just throw those peanuts around them so it just kind of sticks to them. So you have bubble wrap, you have peanuts, and then, just to type it off, you'd put them in a box and kind of tape it up really good so that nobody could hurt them. I mean, isn't that our desire? I mean, isn't that really the way that we act a lot of times, so that we, we're kind of parent in that fashion, that we just want to kind of protect that which we love so much? And how many times have we found out that even though we can do all that we can to protect our children that we can't totally protect our children, that sometimes their hearts get broken, sometimes their dreams get broken, sometimes our lives get broken. It's kind of a scary thing. I know some of you are parents of young children. I'm a father of two girls. And while Carly dealt with it mainly because it was more of that, I guess, on that female thing, 
but the first broken heart of a boyfriend. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Dad wants to be very practical. Well, the boy wasn't worth your time anyway. I mean, I'll tell you real fast. And yet, there you got this girl with a broken heart. And, and we find out that as much bubble wrap, as much insulation, as much, as many peanuts as you try to gather them, you can tape it up. But folks, there's an exposure to the world and other people and evil and all those kind of things. But tell you the truth, that's our lives too. That just because we're the parents, just because we're the adults, just because we're you know, a little bit more aged, doesn't mean that we have protection from this world either. So James Day is saying, okay, number one, life is unpredictable. Number two, life is fragile. Would you agree with that point? That life is unpredictable, that life is fragile. But we begin to look at that and we begin to see that he says, okay, because life is fragile and life is unpredictable, it is foolish and not only foolish, it is arrogant to try to live this life apart from the sovereignty of God. Now, let me tell you something theologically right from the beginning. You can live in denial of God. You can live in opposition to God. You can live in a lot of different ways with God. You're not going to quit God being sovereign. He is sovereign. He will always be sovereign. He is God, and nothing you can do is going to keep God from being God and all his characteristics. And yet we can live in coordination with that and cooperation with that, or we can live in opposition with that. And that's what James begins to approach. Now, again, who is James writing to? Lost folks just going up and down the street, you know, people that have no recognition whatsoever of God? Or is he writing to Christians in, in the church? Yeah. That's very important for us to remember as we get into this, because at first it's going to sound like he's just kind of picking out people that don't know God, kind of actively living in opposition to God. And what he's writing to is the church. And he says, church, Christians, brothers, sisters, man, you've got to be aware of this in your own life. That there's a temptation in every one of our lives that even if we know God, we love God, and we want to follow God, that we can kind of live life in a way that's kind of independent. That is, we can acknowledge God on a Sunday morning, but then we can go out Sunday night for the next Saturday night and kind of live in independence. We can make our plans, our schedules, and do that in no light of eternity and no light of the sovereignty of God. That's the message this morning. Now let's see how James actually kind of spells that out. He starts with an illustration. James chapter 4, verse 13. Again, we're going methodically through James, verse by verse, and, and this morning we're going to do 13 through 17. We'll actually come to the end of... James chapter 4, and uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks for uh, reprieve because we're going to talk a lot in the coming weeks about what it means uh, to, to parent Christian, you know, biblically-based parenting. And so we'll have uh, several weeks where we're just kind of talking about that and, and what that looks like biblically. Uh, and then we'll come back to James chapter 5. But James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. Come now. Uh, you have to understand when he says come now, uh, this was a word of warning in the Greek language. This was somebody saying, uh, you know, if you, your child is going for the hot stove and is about to touch that stove, you don't say, oh, can I please have your attention? And what do you do? You probably scream. I said, don't touch that. You, know, you, you probably, you know, yell out. That's really what he's doing here. It's a word of warning. It's very strong. Uh, if we could see it and, you know, if we used bold print, to kind of tell the emphasis, this would be very dark, bold. This would be highlighted because he says, come now. In other words, he really wants everybody, all of his readers' attention. For what? 
You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a, a town and spend a year there and then trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He starts off with this word of warning and, and he explains a businessman. Surely the church in Jerusalem was filled with businessmen, Jewish businessmen. They loved to make their plans and make their profit. Who does it? I want you to know here that this is not a warning. He's given a warning, but it is not a warning against plans. The Bible very much says that we are to be planning people. If you go back to Proverbs, a book of wisdom, it says even the ant knows how to plan for the winter, that when the harvest is there, he collects and stores up for the long winter ahead. And it says so in a favorable way. So God is not against planning, okay, even though this guy is making plans. The second thing that we see there, this is not a warning against profit. Very much the Bible would say, he, uh, the Bible is not anti-capitalist, okay? The, the Bible very much says, okay, a man is worthy of his hire. But make a fair profit. Don't take advantage of people, make a fair profit. So this warning, when he says, come now, and he has in bold print, come now, I want your attention. I tell you about this man who's going to go into next week, into this town, spend a year, make a plans and profits. It is not that he is warning us against planning, and he's not warning us against profits. So if he's not warning us against planning, and he's not warning us against profits, what is he warning us from? James 4.14 really tells us when we read the rest of that verse, we begin to see. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is saying life is unpredictable, and we all agreed that life is unpredictable. James is saying life is fragile, and we just agreed. And even our kids, as much as we wouldn't want to protect them and go to great lengths to protect them, life is fragile. But you know what James is adding here? He said, guys, life is short. Life is short. When we begin to kind of comprehend that, and we begin to look at what James is saying, folks, this is a word, again, not just to, to, to people that are in church that don't know God. Hey, I just want you to know life is unpredictable, it's fragile, and it's short. Now to the church, to you and I, that would put faith and belief in Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to know these things because these things are essential for you really to live your life in the light of God's sovereignty and the light of eternity. That's what we're going to see James kind of wrapping everything up with. We just sing songs this morning, Blessed Assurance. What, what is that song really about? It's about that even when tough times come, we have this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Why? Because we chose him? No, because he chose us and he loved us and he gave his life for us. When we say, okay, it is well with my soul. What is that song really about? It is a song saying, okay, life is unpredictable, life is fragile, life is short, but my God reigns. And so why can I have peace? Not because life is predictable, not because life is, you know, undamageable, not because life goes on forever, this life. No, in spite of those truths, and in light of those truths, my God reigns. He's a sovereign God. He's a God who has given his very best, Jesus Christ, his only son, to die in my place. Why? So that I could have all the riches of the promise of life with him even when riches don't come in this life. That's what this guy was missing. 
It wasn't that he's warning against a prophet. He's not warning against plans. He's warning about you don't live life outside of the light of the sovereignty of God and outside of the light of, of the eternity of, of, that we, one day we will face in eternity. When we read those words about how it's a mess, that word in the Greek uh, means vapor, it means smoke. Um, it's not so much fog. You know, sometimes fog can be very thick. And it's, it, that would be too heavy of a word. It would be too heavy of a picture that he's trying to, to paint here. The word that he uses, this mist, very much is a word that says, okay, you're kind of here and, and then you're kind of gone. That's really encouraging, isn't it? I was looking, uh, I, we get the Brazelton paper in the mail on Friday. It just kind of comes. and So I open it up and kind of read through there. And, and I, Judge me if you want to. That's okay. I, I read the obituaries. Not every week, but, you know, I just kind of look there. And I, not so much for, okay, do I know these people? Because 99.9% of the time, I don't know these people. And if somebody had passed, I would have already found out before their name was in the paper, okay? Call it weird. Call it strange. Call it whatever you want to. I look at the ages. And I don't know if anybody else does that. Two weeks ago, not this past one, not the one that just came this Friday, but the one that came last week. Oh, my goodness. Half the people were younger than me. Well, number one, I felt old. Number two, I, I felt, wow. You know, because you, you don't mind so much when you look into the obituaries and it says 87. At the ripe old age of 104. You know, it, it, you're going, okay, man, if it's the ripe old age of 104, then maybe I've got some more years left. But when you start looking in there, it's 22, it's 13, 51 along with the 88 and the 72 and the 91. There's a part of that. You don't even know these people, and yet you go, my goodness, look, there's 12 people here, and six of them are under the age that I am right now. There's a reality, a check. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but probably the the strongest sense of eternity that we ever get is when we do attend a funeral of somebody. And even if they're Christians and it's a great celebration and we're celebrating their life, there is something about going in there, knowing that somebody has passed from the reality of this life into the reality of the eternal that is really sobering. And it's just kind of one of those things, there's a seriousness, not just because it's the the human decor to be serious. There's just a seriousness about it. But especially if you've ever attended uh, a funeral or a service for somebody who's younger than you are a friend of yours, somebody you went to school with. Because the reality all of a sudden hits you, my goodness, this life doesn't go on forever. And that's what James was saying. He said, look, life is fragile, it's unpredictable, and it is short. It's a, a mist. Have you ever been looking at a, a lake, a body of water? And you see that it's not a fog, but it, because it's not everywhere else, but it's just right over the water and that mist is there. Have you ever been watching it and almost right before your eyes... It's like you blinked, and it was there, and then it was gone. And you're going, oh, my goodness. You know, I saw it just a second ago. Where did it go? That's the word that James is using, and he's using it purposely. He doesn't want to discourage us. He's not trying to say, okay, you know, I just want to give everybody this heavy load on their life. He said, I want you to know that life is short. It's a mist. You're looking at it, and then it's gone. Well, now that we're all greatly encouraged by this text, uh, let's see what it says. You know, now that it's just, I mean, this is one of those, okay, yes, what did you study in church today? Life is unpredictable, it is fragile, and it is short. 
you know. And if we left it right there, I mean, it really would be a very discouraging morning for us to gather and study. Let me tell you, it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> because James comes back and he, he kind of hits on those points now, now that he's kind of got the whole room's attention by everybody agreeing that life is unpredictable, it's short, it's fragile. Now he kind of comes back with uh, the point. Look at verse 15. He said, instead, you know, instead of just presuming that life is going to go forever, that, that you're going to live out whatever plans you have made, he said in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Let me tell you, this is an attitude of the heart, not, to, not a mantra of the, of the mouth. It's an attitude of the heart, not the, the mantra. I've known somebody, and they really did. It seemed like they could not end a sentence without saying, if the Lord wills. Maybe you've known somebody like that. And, and I'm not saying, I, who knows their heart? I don't know if they were sincere Maybe they read this passage and they just decided that from life, for the rest of this life's existence, they were going to add that little phrase to the end of everything. Well, I'm going to go in here and watch the Olympics if the Lord wills. And folks, if we use that as a mantra, it's silly. It's just silly. He's not talking about a mantra. He's not talking just kind of phrasing something at the end of something because then it becomes kind of meaningless. But he says, is this the attitude by which you approach life? That if the Lord wills, then we will live and do this or do that. Because then we're not just talking about the length of life, but we're actually talking about the quality of life. Because you're not just saying, okay, if the Lord wills for me to be 92 years old or 104 years old, but what about if God doesn't want me to be? the CEO of this or the captain of that or you know, the, the successful one of this? When we really begin to take into life that it is fragile and unpredictable and short, he comes back and he said, instead you ought to say, in other words, you ought to have this down in your heart, that there's a sovereign God. Now, do we have responsibility? Yes. Again, you can live in cooperation with the sovereignty of God, or you can live in opposition of it. Ultimately, theologically, we all live in, in accordance to it. You're not going to change God's mind. In other words, you're not going to say, okay, I refuse to do this, and God's just going to not be sovereign on that matter anymore. He's going to be sovereign over all things. But we can live our practical life either in opposition of that theological truth or in coordination of it. Okay, God, you do have a will. Folks, this is where it gets really, really complex and, and can be quite personal. What if you really wanted to have children and, and you find out that you're not able to have children? Well, I mean, surely that's not what this means. If the Lord wills, we will live and, and do this or that. Yeah. Sovereignty is everything, guys. Is, there's not a part that... God is not 90% sovereign. He's not 99% sovereign. It's 100% sovereign. And the very definition of sovereignty is you have to be... A, and, and, and kind of control. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he's moving chess pieces along. But when it gets really hard in life, not just the length of life, but this quality of life and the events of life, that's what, do we really believe if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that? He's not against planning. He's just against planning that is obsolete and, or that is um, uh, away from this factor that God is a sovereign God. 
So this is an attitude. It's not a, a mantra. This isn't just something that we kind of uh, add on there, that we really live in recognition that, uh, that God really is a sovereign God. He's in control of all things. Where do we begin to see this? We, we see this some in Paul's life. Paul, instead of turning it into a mantra, Paul didn't say, okay, Corinthians do this if the Lord wills. He doesn't add that to the end of, of every single verse that he writes. But let me show you a couple things. You don't have to look it up. Just look up here. Acts 18, verse 21. He loved the Ephesians, uh, the people at Ephesus. He, he loved them. And, you know, he had visited with them and he had been in their church and been with them. And, and he says, look what he says in Acts 18, 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you, <clears throat> what? If God wills. And he said, so, for Ephesus. I mean, he's going from one place to another, and he says, okay, I, I want to come back. I want to uh, be able to get there. I want to be with these people. He, he said, if the Lord wills. He's not kind of just adding at the end of this little thing, a mantra, okay, I, I'll see you next week, if the Lord wills. He's saying, this is my heart. I want to be with uh, these different churches, the people at Philippi, the people in Corinth, all these different ones. I want to be with you, but I know that it is not a guarantee. 1 Corinthians 4.19, talking about that church in Corinth. But he says, but I will come to you soon, what? If the Lord wills. Here's the plans I'm making because I'm kind of putting out my ministry schedule and I've got this other mission trip and, and Corinth is one of the spots on there and I desire to come to Corinth. But I pray that this is what God wills. I will be there if God wills. Anybody know where Paul really wanted to go and yet God kept on telling him that he couldn't go for the longest time? Rome. And, and we even see this, if you want to say, on that negative side. Romans 1.10. Listen to what he says. Now again, Paul wants to go to Rome, not because he heard that, he, that they had a great nightlife. You know, he wants to go to Rome because he has a burden for those people there in Rome. And, and look what he writes. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I want to come to you. I really want, that's, that would be my plan. But I do not want to oppose God's plan. Are we allowed to pray a plan as long as we very much say, as Paul did here, you know, this is what I want. I, I desire to go be with the Romans. But God, I'm going to be obedient to your plan. Is that okay for us to pray? In that order? Sure it is. And I, I pray for this and I pray for that. But I want to be obedient to your will. And we see that Romans fifteen thirty two. Paul says, So that by God's will, this is at the end of his book of Romans, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He said, that's what I really want. And yet as determined as Paul was to come to Rome and be with the Romans, he did not want to oppose what God's will was for his life. Folks, that shows that interaction of our participation, even our desire, but in coordination that there's a sovereign God and that we make decisions in our life in the light of eternity and God's sovereignty and his purpose for our lives. See, that's where you really get down to the root of the problem that James is addressing. It is not a matter of your calendar. It is not a matter of your business plan. And it is not a matter of your 401k. If you said, is it proper to, to plan for retirement and to put money aside? I'd say, well, the Bible says that it's actually wise. Again, go back to the ant. 
in the time of harvest, you put back for the time of need. And so that's wisdom. The foolish part is just to say, okay, because I've done it, it will happen. Because daily, guys, daily, would you not agree that daily we put our mind to say, it will happen, and then it doesn't happen? I will be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if it was last Wednesday or Thursday morning. That if you're on the other side of the interstate on Jackson County, you aren't going to be there at 8 o'clock, folks. Because all of a sudden that traffic on both sides of the interstate, it kind of just got stuck. And, you know, people were sitting there until to, to 9, 9.30. And you find out really fast. And it's very frustrating to find out that not everything is in your control. Isn't that frustrating to sit in traffic? And I go, but I have a plan. Or, Jeff, a couple months ago, I have a plane to catch. Right? Look, my ticket is right here. It says that I depart, departure. This is what it says. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in traffic or something else that was out of our control. And we find out, man, life is fragile. It's unpredictable. And that's the frustration. He's not against calendars, business plans, 401ks. It's all a matter of the heart. And he said this matter of the heart that he's addressing is, do you live your life daily dependent on God? you live with an attitude? Again, we're not we're talking about attitudes, a heart thing, not just action. Do you live your daily life with an attitude from the heart of a dependency toward God? Man, when I'm in the midst of sin, I mean, I've really blown it. Those songs that we sing this morning, they mean so much to me. Because in my failure, I need to come back to the surety that it's not depending on me being this great performer, but the great performance has already been done by one, Jesus Christ, and it is finished, and it is done. And so I hide myself in the cross of Calvary. In the same way, do we live this way? Does it really take those, those moments of failure? Does it take that kind of pressure on our lives before we really re- live in the recognition of these truths? Look what it says in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. What does he mean there? He says to live life independent from the sovereignty of God, the knowledge of God, and and without the light of eternity. He said not only is it arrogant, but it's evil. Well, no, I just want to be able to retire when I'm 65. There's nothing evil about that. To live in opposition of what God has planned for you at 63, 65, or 75 for that matter. That's the arrogance. And he said this arrogance is actually evil. He said, you want to color it a color? He said, you colored this pretty dark. He's talking about anyone who plans without the consideration of the will of God and the truth of God in their planning. Let me drive this home a little bit. Again, are you living today Answer this question in your heart and your mind this morning. Are you living your life today in the light of eternity? You know, not that you're going to see eternity tomorrow. We pray that you're going to be back next week. You're going to make your plans. You're going to run your business. You're going to do these things. But are you living in the light today, your life today, the actions, the thoughts, the, the, the planning and the process in light of eternity? It's amazing how many times Jesus spoke to this. 
when he said, man, you're, you've become a friend of the world, just like James said last week. He said, man, you're a friend of the world. And, and, and when you're a friend of the world, he said, you're actually living in opposition of God. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't be nice people and cooperate with the world and all that. What he's saying is when you live for this life experience with no fault of eternity, he said, not only are you living foolishly for this world, but you're actually living in opposition to God. Now, that was James' words last week. James was just black and white about it. He didn't say there's, remember, he said there's not really a gray area here. So, so we asked that question, are you living in the light of eternity? Now, folks, don't get silly with this. I had somebody come up to me, and, and I think they were serious. And they said, well, so when it comes to breakfast time in the morning, should, should I pray Fruity Pebbles or Cocoa Puffs? I, I mean, should I really, does God have a will there? I mean, my answer would be yes, Fruity Pebbles. Of course there's a will of God there. Always fruity pebbles over cocoa puffs. Now, look, don't be silly about it. You know, that's just silly. Because it isn't really going to change anything in eternity if you eat fruity pebbles or cocoa puffs. Probably not. Probably not. And so don't be silly with this, because then it can be very legalistic at that point. It's not a law as much as it is an attitude that we just live in this obedience and this surrender to God. You see, in our arrogance, James is saying that the arrogance is this attitude of independence, this attitude of presumption, and he calls it evil. He doesn't say, you know, this is just not a wise thing to do. He says it's actually evil to live in this independent spirit away from God or this presumption that just because I made the plans that it's going to happen. He said not only is it not good, it is evil. It's arrogant, it's prideful, and it's evil. If you go back to verse 13, remember what it said uh, when he was telling us about this businessman? He said, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a promise. Nowhere was there a mention of God. Nowhere was there a mention. Hey, this is what I feel God is calling me to. This is how I, I fill out what God has for my life. He was not living his life in the light of eternity. And whether you're here this morning and you're 13 you're 33, or you're 83, I mean, I promise you, naturally, just what's natural to man, is that if we're 83, we start living in the light of eternity a little bit more. We're just going, you know, law of averages here. You know, I've looked at those actuarial tables that those insurance guys look at, and, you know, statistically speaking, eternity is a lot closer for me than it is that 13-year-old or that 33-year-old. What James is saying is, you're going to wait till you're 83 before you get that kind of sense of living your life in the light of eternity? You can wait to 83 when you really get close to the door of eternity? Then you're going, man, I better turn this on. No, James is saying, at 13 years old, guys, we live in the light of eternity. At 33 years old, when we're parenting, we're doing, I mean, 33, for, for a lot of folks, is going to be a time of life when you are super busy. 33 to 43, kind of there. Because, I mean, you got the marriage thing going on. you got the parent thing going on. you got the work thing going on. And, and you're going, okay, look, I am not a planner. Yeah, Bobby, yeah. I get run by my plans. I don't plan anything because, you know, life just happens. True. But are we living life in our 30s and 40s? In the light of eternity. 
Next week we're going to have parent-child dedication. And, and there will be four or five, six families up here. And, and we've sat down with them and we've talked to them because I, I want them to know what that is and what it's not. It's not a christening. It's not infant baptism. It is very much a, a very biblical, just as Mary and Joseph took Jesus and dedicated him. We're following those biblical commands. But I want them to know that even in this little baby that they hold or this little child that they have, that they are making decisions daily in the light of eternity. Daily in the light of eternity. I was sharing with some of those couples and families this morning. I said one of my favorite passages is when Paul's talking to Timothy there, and, and he says, you know, Timothy, man, you had a grandmama and you had a mama that taught you all about me. And may you, uh, this is the phrase I love, that made you wise into salvation. Now, can we make our kids become Christians? No. Any more than, you know, you can make one another, a husband or a wife, a Christian. You can't make it. But I'm telling you, grandparents, I'm telling you, parents, you can make them wise into salvation. You can so cover them with a godly example and, and the gospel message and, and grace and love and, and the wisdom and the word of God that by the time they hit that age of understanding, that you, they're going, man, it felt like I never had a chance. And I think that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I think he was saying, man, your grandmother, your mother, man, they were just covering you up in the practice and the knowledge of the beauty of the gospel. And Timothy, it made you wise into salvation. We live in the light of eternity. And when we begin to understand that, folks, it's not about what cereal I eat. It's how am I loving my spouse? Am I loving my spouse in the light of eternity? Am I raising my kids in the light of eternity? Am I spending my money in the light of eternity? Am I spending my talents and my time in the light of eternity? That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Have you ever seen one of those uh, whirlpools that uh, in the water and they just kind of suck everything in around them? You know, it's, it gets spinning, it gets... And the reason it has this suction, you know, form to it, because it's going so fast. It's, circ- it's not just the slow, it's not the lazy river, okay? If you went to a water park today, you put your kids on the lazy river. But if you looked over there, and at the end of the lazy river was this cyclone of water, and it was sucking kids in, I promise you, you are going to retrieve little Johnny and little Susie, okay? You're going to go get away from that. But isn't that really a picture of life? I mean, does your life feel this way? That, you know, it's not the lazy river. You signed up for the lazy river. And you look down there, and it's like, where are these people vanishing to? Because <laughs> you're trying to, you know, juggle soccer practice and piano and school and this and that. You've got all these different things, and none of those things are wrong. But as we make the decisions, as we make decisions for our children and for our families, James says, make them in the light of eternity. Make those decisions in the light of eternity. And not just the next three years, the next five years, the next ten years. Why? Because life is unpredictable. Life is fragile and life is short. When I was at Shatterbrook, one of the first funerals that I did was uh, probably one of the most sobering ones that I ever did. The night before, a lot of the men went out, about 20 men went out, and we had chicken wings, and as men do, 
How many did you eat? 32. I had 35. I mean, it was just a badge of honor if you could eat more wings than the next guy. It was one badge of honor. The other badge of honor was if you could eat the hottest wings. And we're sitting there, and then about 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. And one of the men that had been sitting there at the table eating with us had passed away. And it's just one of those sobering times when you're going, you know, you get the phone call, it's one o'clock in the morning, you're kind of drugging, you're going, I did not hear this right. And the more you talked, the more you found out that you did hear right. It got more sobering. And, guys, and again, I'm not trying to be discouraging, I'm just trying to say, that this is what James is talking about. I, I go there and I talk to the, the person and, and uh, the wife, and she said, you know, Bobby, what really makes this bad is the last three years, we have walked every night talking about what we're going to do in retirement. And we were one year away. I'm a 30-year-old pastor at that time, and my heart is broken. I'm going, I don't have an answer for this. That's what James wants us to know, guys. Not, not to plan for retirement, not to, not to do those things. Those are perfectly fine. He, he would even say that those are wise. What he said is arrogant and he calls it evil. Is that we would do that not in the light of eternity. That somehow we really do think that if we put enough bubble wrap around us, that if we kind of tape it up really good and we box it, that somehow life is going to go exactly as we planned. And he's trying to prepare us. He's trying to prepare us for the reality that that's just not how life is sometimes. If we end it right there, that that would be the saddest of all sermons. Here's the hope. How do we live? If that's that's what we're not supposed to do, if we're to live in the light of eternity, how do we actually do that? How do we actually do that? Well, we open up all of our lives. Remember last week we were talking about, or a couple weeks ago we were talking about how every house... You know, we, when company is coming over, we will clean up the house and we throw everything into one closet or we put it into one room. And so we invite everybody, our guests, to go into every room, but, but don't go in that closet or don't go into that room. Uh, how do you live in the light of eternity? You don't have rooms, guys. You don't have rooms that are closed off. And one of those rooms that's closed off may be your marriage. One of those rooms that you've closed off is your children. One of those rooms that you've closed off is, okay, God, you, my vocation. Okay, God, you, I'll let you rule in all these other places, but you, you know, don't be touching my job. Don't be touching my marriage. Don't be touching these things. That we open up our lives and we say, okay, God, because life is fragile and unpredictable and it's short, will you let me live my life and all aspects of it in the light of who you are? Second and final thing, that as we make decisions and plans, that we actually have the actions of our life that are lived through the lens of God's sovereignty in the light of eternity. Then it's not a mantra anymore. If the Lord wills, you just throw that on the end of everything that you do. That's silly, folks. That's a mantra. That's mysticism. You think some phrase, by saying some phrase, is going to change the the way your life goes. No, to live it out. And, And to say, man, these kids, I love them, but they're yours. And as I make plans for my children, I, I know my heart is already always motivated to, for their good. But God, I, I don't want just my good. I want your good for my children. I want your good for my marriage, for my family. I want your good for these things in, in their lives. I want to do everything, God, in the light of eternity, in the light of your sovereignty. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you.
And Father, as we come this morning before you, we thank you for your word. And Father, how it, uh, it does penetrate our hearts. Father, it does, uh, in a way, it could be very discouraging this morning, what James has said to us, because we begin to see that, that we are some of those people, that there's areas of our lives, Father, that we have just kind of uh, thought that maybe if we could bubble wrap enough and we could just kind of tape up and box up, that somehow it would not end up broken. But Father, instead of us focusing on the uncertainties of life, your word always brings us back to the certainty of life. That's why we sang this morning, Blessed Assurance. That's why we sang, Oh, praise the Lord. Why, Why do we praise you? Because you have finished the work that is needed for our salvation. And that is why we can say, it is well with my soul. So though, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Father, that is not wishful thinking. That is gospel, godly truth from your heart to our lives. And so, Father, as, as we sing this last song, a song of worship, a song of testimony, Father, we don't go out of here as victims of the world, not knowing how long we will live, how unpredictable it is, and that we're just kind of tossed around by winds. No, we have an anchor for our soul, and he is Christ Jesus. And that's the hope that my children have. And that's the hope that my marriage have. And that's the hope that I have. So, Father, as we sing this song, let it be a song of victory this morning, a song of truthful proclamation that we praise you. Why? Because Christ has come. He has died for my sins and my failures. And he's given me the assurance that one day I will live with you forever. Until that day, Father, I pray that you will guide us as a church, as a people, as families, and as individuals. Guide us, Father. Protect us. Because we admit this morning that life is unpredictable. It is fragile. And, Father, it's short. We pray all this in the hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.